This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And we're going to be celebrating the swinging A's. Every one of our guests won three World Series rings with the Athletics. Reggie Jackson, Raleigh Fingers, Sal Bando, and Dick Green. This is star-studded. And we're going to start with the straw that stirs the drink. Mr. October, Hall of Famer, 14-time All-Star, five-time World Series champion, AL MVP in 1973, two-time World Series MVP, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, four-time AL home run leader, and a one-time AL RBI leader. His number nine is retired in Oakland. His number 44 is retired in New York. He's in the A's Hall of Fame. He's in the Yankees Hall of Fame. And he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1993. Here is the great Reggie Jackson. Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you? You know what we've been doing here, not only on A's cast, but also on NBC Sports California is airing World Series games. We just got through the World Series with the Cincinnati Reds. Unfortunately, you couldn't play in that. But starting tomorrow is going to be game one against the New York Mets in a World Series where you were the MVP. And wow, we were starting to really see the greatness that was you and your Oakland Athletics teams. It took you a long time. It took you a long time to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? It, it's so it's shocking to me that your teams were so great, and it didn't seem like you guys got your due, even though you guys won three straight World Series. We're recognized as one of the great teams of all time. It's probably gone now because it's 47 years ago. So, you know, the young people or whatever don't really realize it, but Anytime you go look around and see who won three World Series in a row, you bad do. So nobody, I don't know, I don't think Raleigh or Sal or Vida or any of us are feel as though we were slighted. I, I don't think so at all. I think we were um, a better team than the big red machine, and they were a great, great team. They won two uh, World Series, I think, what? They lost in 70, and they won in 71, and they didn't win 72, 3, 4, 5. They won in 75. You know, they didn't. Uh, they won in 76. But we were recognized as a great team. I don't think we missed that. Yeah, it's and, and it's been a lot of fun watching these games and can't wait to watch against the Mets. As, 
you know, the, the Mets were, 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 were obviously a tough team led by Yogi Berra, and they had great pitching with the Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, you, you think of all these great players, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. What, what do you remember going up against Tom Seaver and that great staff that they had? And Willie Mays is on the team for them, and, and you guys take them down in 1973. I really thought that uh, it was a great test. You know, they, we, were, we had better players overall than they did. And I remember their best hitter, Rusty Staub, was hurt at the time. He, he couldn't really play uh, in the field. He had a DH, although he wasn't that much of a defender. But he wasn't quite the same offensive player. But facing Seaver, Matt Lack, Kuzman, um, they were a handful. And um, they were great. They were not short. There was nothing short of great about them. And it really was a hell of a challenge uh, facing those guys. Um, I remember the first night of facing Seaver. Uh, man, it was cold, and, and we had real bad seats for our family. They all sat up in like the second or third deck. And the higher up you went, the colder it got. And it was in the 30s. It was in the 30s that night. Unless you were around, unless you were around close to home plate. And Tom Seaver had us lit up, brother. Um, he had some fire going. Uh, he was throwing in the high 90s or whatever, and I, I, I really thought he was unhittable that night. But I want to say that Campanaris got a big hit for us, um, and we wound up winning that game late. Uh, and wound up, I don't know whether Seaver got the loss, but we won that game. I really thought that was uh, a big thing for us. I remember every time I got in the batter's box, it was no balls and two strikes. Zoom, zoom. Um, was Seaver uh, with a tremendous fastball and tremendous breaking ball. And, um, yeah, but uh, we outplayed him. Um, we could match him with pitching. We had uh, Vida Holtzman and, of course, the great catfish. And Johnny Blue Moon Odom was an unsung guy and a tremendous bullpen. And really, any time Raleigh Finger stood up in the bullpen, the game was over. Raleigh stood up in the pen to get ready to throw, whether it was a fifth inning, sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth. Um, you could get your hat and coat and come back tomorrow night because that game was over. Yeah, we, we had your, your teammate, fellow Hall of Famer, Raleigh Fingers on last week. And, and I've been talking a lot about Raleigh as, you know, we looked at Mariano Rivera and a lot of these great closers. But Raleigh was used different, and that's why I think if you look at the greatest relievers of all time, you have to throw Raleigh Fingers in there because he pitched more innings than anybody else. He was in so many tough situations. He just he just wasn't a ninth-inning guy. And he continued to talk about what a weapon and what a great pitcher Raleigh Fingers was. Well, Raleigh was really spectacular. Um, like I said, he was by far the best in the game at the time. And, and Goose Gossage was in the game. Tocolby was in the game. You know, those guys, Quisenberry was around. But you really couldn't touch Raleigh. He had all the pitches. And he, he was he threw very similar uh, to as hard as uh, Eckersley threw. He had the same kind of control of Eckersley uh, as well as uh, Mariano. And I kind of mentioned those names because, you know, those are the three guys that have really stood out. Even kid uh, in, in San Diego now that's got the award named after him, um, Hoffman, he's tremendous. But Raleigh, you know, you know the story goes and goes. And 
talk about the innings that he pitched, et cetera. He pitched 125 innings, 130 innings, 140 uh, innings at times. And now guys get 50, 60 saves with 50, 60 innings. And, uh, you know, certainly it's a sign and the times have changed. Um, I don't say that. I know that Raleigh could have been, been successful maybe even better, although I know you, I don't know if you could have been any better than him um, in the era when he was a get two outs or get just three outs in the ninth. He'd have pitched 160 games, or he, he, he'd have been in 80 or 90. Uh, I can tell you that, but, you know, the, the game changed, the, you know, set up man came in, et cetera. It would be nothing for Raleigh to come into the game in the fifth inning or the sixth inning, the seventh inning, and get nine outs, get 12 outs. Uh, and then come out and pitch the next day, and so I don't I don't put anybody down. I think that any great player, whether it's Mike Trout or or Altuve, can, would be great in any era. And I think that Eckersley and Gossage and Fingers and Mariano were all as good as you could ever be in their era, and could have pitched in any era. We're also going to be playing games from the 1974 World Series uh, against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And, and some of the Dodger players disrespected the A's, which was shocking to me that you disrespect a team that's just won back-to-back World Series. And you guys would you guys would handle the Dodgers, as we have Ray Fossey on every single week, and he talked about how you guys only use five pitches. What was that like taking down that, that Dodger team? Because that was also a very good ball club. I remember playing the Dodgers. I enjoyed it. And as a matter of fact, I've had three, four World Series that uh, was in, involved in that, uh, against them. Two more with the Yankees, three more with the Yankees, I guess. I, and they made some kind of comment that this person couldn't play for our team or whatever. And I, I never, I, I don't know, maybe my ego was too big. I never paid attention to that. You know, we had the best team in baseball by far because we had great pitching and we had a, oh, you know, our players didn't make a lot of mistakes, you know, Bando and Rudy and Campaneris and Dick Green and, and Duncan and tennis and those guys, they didn't make mistakes. They, they, we, we were a great team, you know, individually, we, we may not have been the greatest, but we were a great team with the best pitching in baseball and, and, and you really, really had a hard time beating that. So I, I didn't really pay attention to the insults or ah, you, you, you'll whip your ass. <laughs> I mean, so I didn't really worry about what you said about us. You're going to get ass whooping, man. We, we'd won three World Series in a row, and that's, that speaks volumes, really. Yeah, Reggie Jackson can play on any team. I can't believe they were saying stuff like that. And when I think about you as a two-time World Series MVP and think about all your greatness and the reason why they call you Mr. October, you know, not everybody brings their A game under the biggest spotlight. What was it about you that you brought your A game on the biggest stage? I really didn't let a lot of clutter get in my mind, uh, Rich. You know, I just... I could focus on what was at hand. Uh, I never really looked past the next day. I looked past that particular bat. Uh, I really felt as though, uh, you know, our ownership provided a great ball club and we had great players 
and playing with Bando and Rudy um, and, and Billy North and, and those guys that took the field every day. Um, hell, we had George Hendrick, who had not really come into his own. He was a hell of a player and became a great player. Um, but the, and the pitching that we had, you know, Daryl Knowles pitched in, I want to say, all seven games in 1972. And we still had him in 73. We had Lindblad. We had Jim Todd. You know, heck, I'm just calling these, these you know, guys up from memory. I was trying to, I should have Googled this stuff there. But, uh, man, uh, you know, it was just a wonderful thing, impressive thing. And uh, I, have, I still have a tremendous amount of respect um, for the teams that I played on and over there in the Oakland area. And the little bit of fans that we had were the best, but the players were great players. And as I said, um, we became a great team because we were really, really good, you know, and then we had this confidence that we knew how to win a ball game. If Charlie Finley doesn't break up the team, how many more World Series do you win in Oakland? You know, I had always thought about that, uh, to be very honest with you. You know, if if free agency hadn't come about, and I don't blame Charlie Finley. Nobody knew what was going on. Um, he sold players. He traded players. And he was trying to rebuild, et cetera, because we didn't have a good fan base. We didn't, we didn't have enough money to compete uh, with the teams in New York and the Red Sox and uh, the Yankees. And, and we just didn't draw people like Chicago and L.A., et cetera. So he did the next best thing, and that was to try to sell his teams. And, um, you know, that's really the, the, the way it went. It, it, it went, and that's why we broke up. But I really think if they would have kept the free agent clause silent, if that would not have happened, um, then, you know, we were all 28, 29 years old, and we'd have won three or four out of the next six or seven World Series. We were good, and we were we were really good players, and we were a great team with great pitching. The only three hundred hitter we had was Joe Rudy. Yeah, it would have been amazing to see if you guys would have stayed together. And let's end on this because I've always wanted to ask you: you you had some of the greatest quotes of all time when you were with the New York Yankees, and of course, you go and star with the Yankees and win more World Series. What was that relationship like between you and the New York media? You know, you know, it's, I mean, I have a, a, a still have a great relationship with the New York media. I think it was contentious at first when I was a player there. Um, they considered me cocky and egotistical. Um, I was confident because I knew I was good. Um, I played 10 years in the league. And, and I'd had success, and led the league in homers and ribbies and all that other stuff. And we'd had uh, some world championships. So um, I, I kind of walked around, I guess, with a self-assuredness, arrogance, cockiness, whatever you want to call it. And it turned them off or whatever. Because um, the Yankees weren't the team that I was on when I was with Oakland. So it's like, hey, bro, like, like. I, I didn't go up in the world, you know, I'm, I'm over here now. So, so don't, don't try to say like, you, you're going to make me, et cetera. So, 
you know, I had that kind of attitude and it didn't, didn't go over well, but you know, um, I, I didn't, I guess I got abused and got beat up a little bit, but hell, they didn't talk about my parents or my family. And, uh, if, if that was the case, all I had to do was play ball and I could control the media. You can always control the story. My father used to say, you can always control the story if you got another at bat. <laughs> if you get, if you got a bat in your hand, son, it don't matter if you're hitting first or ninth. If you got a bat in your hand, son, you can control the story. So don't worry about the media. And so if we won games, uh, whether it was New York or wherever, you know, you can control the story. And it didn't really bother me that much. Um, you know, I would say that I, I did enjoy the media because there were a lot of guys in the media, Rich, like uh, Ronnie Bergman and Ron Simright. Um, and, and some of those guys around there, there was a, everybody thought it was a mean guy. He kind of wore glasses and he had a beard and he always would attack Willie Mays. I kind of forget his name, Dickie, Glenn Dickey. But th th there were a lot of media guys back there, a guy named Bob Stevens. They were smart people and I enjoyed talking to them. There were a couple of guys out there from Berkeley that were kind of off the wall, they had they were interesting guys that had interesting conversations to me and when i got to new york i enjoyed the media again because they were bright smart people to talk to and even to this day when i talk to some of the media guys skip bayless is still around and i enjoy talking to skip i think he writes for the paper up there and he's got a lot of depth and knowledge and you know, the same thing with those guys out of New York that you talk to, man, they know the game and know the sports. And it's fun talking to those guys that have seen so much. The guys that go back and have seen can compare Curry to Rick Barry and stuff like that. It's, it's fun. It's cool for me. Yeah. You know, when you were asked if you're coming to New, to New York to be a star and you said, no, I'm bringing my star to New York. You were right. I mean, you've already been an MVP. You've been a World Series MVP. You've you, you, you've won three World Series. You are already a star. Well, yeah, I, I you know, I might have said that, the, the, you know, bragging a little bit. But it's like, hey, bro, like I didn't just get to town. I've been playing for 10 years. And I've had some success. So, you know, acknowledge that. Acknowledge that. Don't don't kick me down the road, or think that I just got I got I got well I was on the the high, the high list to get invited. You know what I mean? I was on the A list. <laughs> I wasn't like I ain't just filling up the room. I wanted the favorites, bro. Come on, I'm not You're... just filling. Out. You got a Kentucky Derby with 33 horses. Uh huh. I'm in the top three. <laughs> You're VIP. Thank you. I'm on the first <laughs> rail. I'm on the rail. <laughs> hey Reggie, thank you so much for taking the time to reminisce about the great teams that we are we're watching here on NBC Sports California. And tomorrow at eight o'clock will be game one of the World Series. Thank you so much. Be safe and hopefully we'll talk to you soon once this uh once this season gets started. Thank you so much. I I I don't know if I got some good news today about somebody talking about baseball might start up in a in a month or so. Now that would be what wouldn't it just it, it'd be phenomenal for the country with everybody locked in to be able to see some live sports. It would be so huge and once again yeah. make your game the national pastime. You're exactly right. Take, Take care, care Ed. my friend. Have a great day and say hello to all those great Oakland fans that 
I enjoyed playing with and still enjoyed being a part of that Oakland organization. Thank you very much. From one Hall of Famer to another, he's truly one of the greatest relievers to have ever lived. A three-time World Series champion, a seven-time All-Star, American League MVP in 1981, AL Cy Young Award winner in 1981, World Series MVP in 1974, four-time Rolaids Relief Man Award winner, three-time MLB saves leader. His number 34 is retired in Oakland. His number 34 is retired in Milwaukee. He's in the A's Hall of Fame and the Miller Park Walk of Fame, inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1992. Here is Raleigh Fingers. Well, it's an honor to have a legend on the program, a three-time World Series champion, a seven-time All-Star, AL MVP, AL Cy Young Award, a World Series MVP, four-time Rolaids Relief Man of the Year, three-time MLB Saves Leader. His number is retired with the Athletics. His number is retired with the Brewers. He's in both teams' Hall of Fame, and he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And he joins us here on A's Cast Live. The great Raleigh Fingers is here. Raleigh, thank you for the time, and I hope everything's good down in Vegas. Well, everything's fine. I'm uh, just uh, staying in my house watching uh, old movies, <laughs> just like probably everybody else, but I'm okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, this past week, and all, all I watched was Old Masters with Phil Mickelson winning on Saturday and Tiger Woods winning on Sunday. It's like, it's all we got. I know. That's something that you have to watch all those over again, but I don't mind because I can't remember half the winners when I'm watching it, so I, I just watch them. <laughs> well, the cool thing that's going on now is – on NBC Sports California, we're going to start replaying some of the World Series games from 1972, then 73, then 74. You were such a big part of all those championship teams. I believe, what would you say, you pitched in 16 World Series games. Uh, when you look back on those teams and that run, how do you feel about your old teammates and the championships? Oh, oh golly, you know, when you're doing it, you really don't think that much about it. You know, you're just going one year at a time. And I think winning in 1972 over Cincinnati uh, was probably the most fun because we were so heavily underdogged. I mean, uh, we weren't supposed to even score any runs against these guys, and they were going to kill us. And to win that uh, series in seven, I think winning the first one was the hardest. Uh, then in 73 against the Mets, uh, you know, we, we were down uh, three games to two going back to Oakland. And uh, uh, I think we beat uh, Tom Seaver and then I think it was Jerry Kuzma um, uh, in game six and seven to win in 73. And then in 74, we just uh, we just ran over the Dodgers. So but um, I think winning the first one was the hardest after that. You know, and then after you win three, you're, you're used to it. <laughs> you know, you're expecting it. And uh, we got uh, we got knocked off in the playoffs in '75 with the Red Sox. You know, you're selling yourself short. I, I, I'm checking your your all-time postseason pitching. You actually pitched in 30 postseason games, but yeah, 16 in the World Series. But 30. There was one World Series where you pitched six times in the World Series. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. In '72, I pitched six games, and in '73, I pitched in six games. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, they kept me busy. Dick Williams kept me busy, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no question. And, yeah, you know, 
you guys were never the favorites, but taking down the Cincinnati Reds because they had some big names and they wouldn't really become the big red machine until after your dynasty was done. But I love how it was the hairs versus the squares. It was one of the great names for a World Series. Yeah, well, you know, every, everybody loved us, especially in the Oakland area, you know, uh, playing, you know, a few miles from Berkeley. Everybody at Berkeley loved us. We had the long hair and the mustaches and the crazy uniforms, the white shoes. Uh, you know, everybody in the Bay Area just loved us that, that when we started all that in 1972. And um, it just carried on when, the, you know, we started uh, growing the mustaches in 72. You win a World Series. You got to keep it for 73. And then you win in 73. You got to keep those mustaches. And we just kept them throughout our whole career there. And uh, we, you know, we uh, became what they called the mustache gang. So, but it was a lot of fun. It's always fun when you win. No doubt. And you were still kind of young when the A's started going on their run in 71, you're 24. And then you win your first World Series. Raleigh, you were just 25 years old at the time. Yeah, in fact, I think most of our ball club, we were all about the same age because we all came up through the minor leagues together. Vita uh, Blue, Gene Tennis, uh, 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 Joe Rudy, Reggie Jackson. I played with Reggie in, uh, in Modesto in the California League and uh, two years in Birmingham, uh, Alabama in the Southern League. So we all, we all hit the big leagues right around 1968, 69, 70. And, uh, you know, we played together for two or three years, and then it, uh, everything just – came together in 71 um, and we had a great year in 71 and got beaten in the playoffs though. But uh, uh, from then on, we basically had a nucleus of probably about 12, 12, 13 guys that were with those, all three of those or all four of those teams uh, throughout the early seventies. You know, I've always wanted to ask you this because the last time I interviewed you, we didn't have a lot of time. It was on the field as you guys were being honored but I once read, and I think you were still in the minors and with the Kansas City Athletics, where you actually threw a complete game in spring training. I read that, and that just blew my mind, that, that nothing like that would ever happen today. Is that true? You actually threw a complete game in spring training? Uh, yeah, I think it was. It was either eight or nine innings. I was, that was in 1969. It was uh, towards the end of spring training, and I think we were playing in uh, Palm Springs against the Angels, and it was kind of a toss-up between me and a couple of other guys uh, who was going to make the ball club that year. Uh, Hank Bauer was our manager. And so I started the game against the Angels in the, in Palm Springs. And I think I went eight innings, eight or nine innings. I may have thrown a complete game. I can't remember. But towards the end of spring training back then, uh, your starting pitchers, they wanted to go at least eight or nine innings in at least one game, usually the ones just before you break camp. That's just the way it was back then. So they were used to pitching nine innings. So, uh, but yeah, I was, I'd made the staff that year and, uh, um, yeah, I think I did uh, throw a, f- a complete game at spring training. You know, I, I think about your career and now the way the <laughs> closers only go one inning, that was not what you did. And it really what makes you so special and kind of makes you different from all of these other relievers as you were a guy that would take the ball and go three or four innings. I just talk about how, you did it versus the modern day closer. Uh, well, I needed I needed a lot of work. I had the type of arm where I could throw, you know, just about every day. I was, you know, I had great I great great mechanics. Um, didn't put a lot of strain on my arm. I learned how to warm up in the bullpen. I wouldn't overthrow in the bullpen. You know, when I got loose, I'd stop throwing. Just a lot of little things 
But uh, I saved a lot of pitches in the bullpen uh, uh, because uh, I, I knew how to warm up. And I think that helped me out quite a bit. But I just had a loosey-goosey arm, and I could go out and I could throw three, four innings in relief. Um, I think that's why I went to the bullpen, because when I started, I'd go three or four innings and then get knocked out of the box. So they figured I'd be a, I'd be a good relief pitcher, I guess. So they threw me in the pen. But, um, you know, I, would, uh, I could throw six, seven ball games in a row and throw one or two or three innings. It didn't bother my arm at all. I, I enjoyed the work. And uh, to be a closer, you have to have great control. And the more work you have, the better control you're going to have. I, you know, I hated sitting on the bench for maybe a week and not getting in a game. I'd, I would ask, uh, you know, the manager, hey, get me in at least one or two innings so I can stay sharp, even if we're losing or if we're winning by big. You know, I, I needed to get on the mound. And I think that's what helped my career. And you, you pitched on a staff that had just some great players. When you think about Catfish, he's a fellow Hall of Famer. Kenny Holtzman won so many big games for you guys in the postseason, in the World Series, and, of course, Vita Blue. What, what was it like being around this starting staff? Oh, it was great. Uh, you know, they those three guys, four guys with Odom and John Odom in there also, yeah. you know, they were, they were completing the 45, 50 ball games a year. And so, uh, and that's what they got paid for. So consequently, I would have less saves as compared to nowadays because these catfish wanted a complete game, or Kenny Holtzman wanted a complete game, so they wouldn't they wouldn't come out of games. And that made it kind of tough on me because when they did get in a jam, I'm having to come in with a one run lead and a couple guys on base and nobody out. So I, you know, and I had to get out of some tough jams sometimes, but. Uh, uh, that's just the way it was. I mean, nowadays, 45 complete games on us. You can get 45 complete games in the big leagues all year long. It's a completely different game now. So uh, that's why bullpens are carrying more pitchers down there. We, uh, you know, we would go into a season with maybe uh, four or five pitchers in the bullpen. Now they're going in there with maybe eight, nine, nine relief pitchers. So uh, it's, a, it's a completely different ball game than it was in the 70s. Oh, yeah, and we're expanding the roster because there's, you know, when you got 13 pitchers, you have less guys on the bench. So we're expanding the roster so they can have more depth on the bench. It's it's absolutely crazy that pitchers do not throw more innings. I just, I, I don't like it, but it is what it is. I want to ask you about the handlebar mustache. You literally have the most famous mustache of all time. When did it start? And when did you say, I'm going with this thing? Oh, golly. Well, it started in 1972 uh, at spring training. Reggie came to spring training with a mustache and a beard. I think he just wanted to upset Charlie Finley. And uh, so he, all the guys on the ball club at spring training, uh, you know, we got on Reggie, hey, shave your mustache off. Because at the time, there was no facial hair in the big leagues. It was, you know, just something he just didn't do. So Reggie wouldn't shave it off. So myself and uh, Catfish Hunter, uh, Daryl Knowles, Bob Locker, it was about four of us decided, I think we were all pitchers, let's, let's grow mustaches. And if we grow mustaches, uh, Dick Williams will say, okay, okay, guys, cut the mustache off. And then Reggie would have to cut his off. But Charlie Finley somehow found out what was going on at spring training, and he sent a memo down to the clubhouse and said, uh, anybody who makes the ball club on the 25-man roster on opening day, if you have a mustache, you will get $300. And so everybody at spring training started growing mustaches. And um, for, uh, on opening day, Charlie Finley came down in the clubhouse with uh, 30 checks, uh, 25 uh, players, four coaches, and a manager. Everybody got a check for 300 bucks. 
And uh, we started winning. And uh, we started growing long hair. And uh, we kept winning. And uh, fans loved it. Uh, we started packing the ballpark. Uh, you know, not a whole lot, but we started bringing some fans in. And uh, because we were winning and, and were different, uh, you know, we just kept, uh, kept the mustaches. And um, it's tough to shave the mustaches off after three straight world championships. So that's why we kept them. We, we had the captain on, Sal Bando, and he talked about the common enemy, and that was Charlie Finley. <laughs> Charlie Finley. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody hated Charlie. I mean, I, you don't know how many times I slammed the phone down on him uh, come contract time because he, he was the owner and the general manager, so you had to deal directly with Charlie when it comes to contracts. And uh, after the 72 series, uh, I think I saved two games and I won one game and we won the World Series. I was making 29000 bucks at the time and he sent me a $1,000 raise. Uh, I, well, I called him up and I told him what I thought about the raise and slammed the phone down and I got an agent. And I didn't say one word to Charlie Finley from 1972 to 1976. I didn't talk to the man one time. I told my agent to deal with him. I couldn't handle him. <laughs> so did a lot of other players. Wow, that's that's crazy. And then you go on to San Diego, you go on to Milwaukee, and you had great success in in both of those stops. Yeah, I had a lot of a lot of fun in Milwaukee because we were you know I was going to a great team. San Diego, uh, you know, we had halfway we had pretty good offensive team, but we just didn't have the pitching there and uh, uh, didn't have that you know two or three good starters like we had in Oakland, and we never really finished higher than third place the four years I was down there. So I wanted to get out of San Diego and then they traded me to St. Louis. I was with St. Louis for like three days. And then Whitey Herzog traded me to, Oh, to uh, Milwaukee in a, in a big trade with uh, uh, Pete Bukovic and Ted Simmons. So um, I was happy to go to Milwaukee because uh, we had a great team, great offensive team. I, I would have hated to had to face that team uh, because there was no holes in that lineup. The year we went to the, uh, Playoffs in 81 and then the World Series in 82. You know, in 81, you win the Cy Young and the MVP. Do you think this is is the time when baseball is truly finally appreciating great relievers? Uh, you know, well, it was, that was kind of a split season that year. And I probably, like I say, I had probably my best year in the big leagues that year, without a doubt. Uh, you know, but my ERA was around one, which is unheard of. And uh, but you know I would come into games and give up three line drives with the bases loaded and they all be line drives right at somebody. I mean nothing went wrong that year. It's just one of those fairy tale years. And uh, you know I think uh, I think after the 73, 70, 74 World Series somewhere in there, I think organizations started to realize that uh, having a guy in the bullpen that could pitch the last three innings of a ball game, you're you're going to win. And uh, I think that's when it all changed. There were some guys before me, uh, uh, Dave Justy, Clay Carroll with uh, Cincinnati. Uh, there were a few relief pitchers in there, Hoyt Wilhelm, but he's throwing a knuckleball. But uh, back then, uh, you know, your starting pitchers were, they wanted you to go complete games. And it, it all changed about that time in the early 70s where organizations realized they needed that closer in the bullpen to, to win. So then, you know, uh, Goose Gossage, uh, Tug McGraw, Dan Quisenberry, uh, Kent the Colby, all the ball clubs had ended up having uh, great relief pitchers, and that, that's when the game changed a little bit. Raleigh, it is always an honor to have you on the program. We're going to do everything we can to get you these games so you can watch them down there in Las Vegas and, and uh, get to watch you and your old teammates and 
every just watch the greatness that was the Oakland Athletics during that time. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Be safe down in Vegas, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure being with you. From two Hall of Famers to a captain, Captain Sal. He came up with Kansas City and ended his career in Milwaukee. A four-time All-Star, a three-time World Series champion at Arizona State just like Reggie. He's one of the great third basemen in the history of this organization. Sal Bando, the captain. Join me on A's Cast Live. Well, it is an absolute honor to have him on the program again and to talk about the great teams in the 70s. He's the captain, Sal Bando. Sal, thank you so much for taking the time down in Arizona. Chris, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, talk with you, and uh, I look forward to the memories. So it never gets old that your nickname's Captain, right? I mean, that's got to be pretty cool. Well, it's an honor, and uh, the guys were great with it, and and so you learn to accept it, and and uh, I just made sure that I didn't lord it over them. <laughs> well, we have Ray Fossey on every single week, and we're always bringing you up, and uh, we know what you meant to these ball clubs, and I think one of the really cool things for A's fans, especially for someone like me that was born in 1972. I mean, I was a baby. I didn't get to see these games, and now we're going to be running these games on NBC California. Don't you think it's going to be really special for these younger A's fans to really realize how great you guys were? Absolutely. You know, and if they're really baseball fans, they'll understand the uniqueness and, and the consistency that those t- teams had, and uh, it's really what's missing in baseball today is that consistency. No doubt about it. I think really in all sports where, where, where you don't see guys stay on one team for a very long time and you, you don't build that brotherhood, that kind of chemistry that you need to win championships. And, you know, we always look back and we've read the books, The Last Dynasty and the Charlie Finley book, and they talk about how you guys were fighting all the time. But you guys were like brothers. Well, you know what? We, we had the common enemy, and, and that just brought us together. And we knew that uh, – the only way we'd enjoy this is to win. <laughs> and that common enemy was Charlie Finley? Charlie Finley, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's still crazy to think. I mean, of course, you ran the Milwaukee Brewers. You know what it's like to be an executive in this game. It's just hard to believe when you're looking back that a man was running a team in Oakland from Chicago. By phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't watching the games on, on his computer. He was. I mean, do you look back? How crazy is that? Well, I mean, when you when you think back, what what saddens me is we could have continued on with winning teams after '74 season, but with him losing Catfish, breaking up the team, it was a shame to, to break up the dynasty like that. You know, when when, when you think about what you guys were building in Kansas city. And then you make the move over to Oakland. At what point did you start looking around going, you know what, we're going to have a shot at this thing. Well, I think after our first year in Oakland, I think we finished at 500, which was the first time the A's had really done that. And then the next year, um, 69, we really improved a great deal. Minnesota was still the twins were, were the team in our conference. But then we started to play them and compete with them and start to beat them. We knew we were on our way, and uh, 
Reggie was coming into his own. Catfish was coming into his own. We had a stopper in Raleigh. We had Campy. Uh, we had consistency in the field, and it was just a matter of doing it on the field. And how big was it to finally get over the Baltimore Orioles? Because you had some great battles with them. Well, we really did. It, it, you know, the first year we got the playoffs was Detroit, and then the next two years it was Baltimore. And, and, and Baltimore had a team like ours. They had good pitching, timely hitting. So it, it came down to who's going to make the most mistakes. And uh, fortunately for us, Baltimore made them. And your first World Series, you're going up against what we would later know as the Big Red Machine. And Cincinnati was favored in the series. They had Pete Rose. They had Johnny Bench. They had Joe, Joe Morgan, uh, Perez. They had a lot of great players. What was that like taking down the Cincinnati Reds? Well, what people don't realize is we lost Reggie in the last playoff game, so we didn't have him. Daryl knows our number one left-hander out of the bullpen was hurt, and he didn't play the last part of the season. We didn't have him. So, uh, you know, it was amazing that we were able to compete with him. And then at that, once we got out there and we saw that, you know, they're not that much better than us. In fact, they're not better than us. And uh, our pitching kept us in the games. We had some timely hitting. Gene Tennis uh, had a, a great series. He got the MVP. He had a, hit a bunch of home runs. It was just a matter of everybody doing something different. Yeah, that's the one thing Ray Fossey has said, when, you know, because he comes over from Cleveland and, you know, he always jokes uh, that their season was over on opening day. And <laughs> <laughs> he comes over and he remembers being at spring training and Dick Green says to him, oh, yeah, we're going to win the World Series. That's what we do. So that, so yeah. after, after 72, you guys had that confidence that no matter who we play, you're going to win. Well, I tell you, we had a situation in 73. I guess it was early in the year. We were around 500. And I think we were living on last year's laurels. And we were playing to win, but we didn't have the same intensity. And we had a team meeting. And uh, Finley spoke. We all said something. But we said, you know, we got to get back to where we were with the same intensity. And after that meeting, we just took off, ended up overtaking the teams that were in front of us, and went on to uh, – go to the World Series and beat the Mets. Yeah, and that was a really, really good Mets team. Of course, Reggie was the MVP. As you said, Reggie's coming into his own. Uh, that was a that was a great World Series, and Yogi Bears, the manager of the Mets. I mean, uh, looking back at that World Series, what was it like taking on the Mets? Well, you know what? We had a big distraction. That was the series where Finley wanted to fire Mike Andrews because uh, he made two errors in the Sunday uh, World Series game. Now he's appealing to the commissioner to put him on the disabled list. He's hurt. He's not hurt. He's been playing like that all year. And we really got upset with Charlie. And uh, Bowie Kuhn, at the last minute, wouldn't allow it. And they let Mike Andrews stay on. And uh, it was great for team morale. And we rallied around Mike. And the fans rallied around it. And again, Another distraction in the World Series, but we overcame it. And didn't the mule come with you guys to New York? Oh, he probably did. Probably sat with Charlie, but, but <laughs> uh, I, I don't remember that. I just know we had enough problems with trying to stick up for Mike Andrews. 
Yeah, that, that, that's the one thing about your group going through the years. They're, they're always they, – I mean, as a player, what was it like? There was always something going on. You know, I can remember um, in the clubhouse in, in the next year with the Dodgers, in, against the Dodgers, and the clubhouse guy comes up to me. We're having a practice before the series starts. And he goes, you know, he says, Sal, I'm nervous. I said, what are you nervous about? He goes, I keep hearing about all these fights and this and that you guys do. I said, believe me, it's not true. It's overrated. I no sooner got it out of my mouth. <laughs> Blue Moon Odom and Raleigh Fingers get in a fight. And they have to take Raleigh to go get stitches in the back of his head. <laughs> you guys are fighting <laughs> during the World Series. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it had nothing to do with baseball. It was a personal thing. And one guy says one thing, the other guy objects to it. Here we go. And they get, and Raleigh falls back, hits his head against the locker, has to go get stitches. Oh, God. And, 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 and as you were telling the clubhouse guy, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And he looks at me and says, get out of here. And just. <laughs> And then the third World Series, of course, you guys and the New York Yankees are the only franchises in baseball history to win three in a row. Uh, the Yankees did it a couple times, but that's what makes you guys so special. You're one of only two teams. And now you're taking on the Los Angeles Dodgers. Were they, you know, you talk about consistency, the infield that they had. You look at the consistency, and that was a, that was a really good Dodger ball club. Oh, it was a very good Dodger ball club. They had good, great pitching, uh, good offense. But I think, I don't know who said it, but uh, one of the guys said, you know, there's only three guys that could play on our team. They said myself, uh, Reggie, and, um, and Catfish. And that really upset us because we felt we were man for man as good, if not better. And we went out and did it in five games. Yeah, and Ray Fossey always tells us, you guys only use five pitchers in that World Series, which is amazing. Yeah, well, in those days, your starters, we're supposed to go more than a few innings and we built it on that. You know, we had Holtzman and uh, blue and catfish. I mean, those are three great pitchers right there. Yeah. And, and I always like to bring it up cause I don't, you know, everybody knows about catfish cause he's a hall of famer. Everybody knows Vita blue cause he was a star and an MVP of Cy Young, but Kenny Holtzman won so many big games for you guys. Yeah. Kenny was really, he was the asset that really got us going. We got him in a trade that gave us an established left-hander go with Vita and left-handed pitching is hard to come by. So we had two starters that were above average and we won a lot of games because of pitching. You know, and I think of, of your post-playing career, I, I, you know, before we start talking about you being a general manager, I remember you doing TV with Bob Costas. That had to be a pretty big yeah. deal for you. Well, the, my first year after retiring, NBC asked me to do the backup game of the week. And so I did, and I really enjoyed it. What I didn't enjoy is I'd have to jump on a plane Friday night, get to where we're playing Saturday, and, and if I could get a flight out Saturday night, I'd get home. And here I was, I just retired from baseball, and I'm traveling more than ever. So uh, it was great doing it with Bob Costas, but I really wasn't looking at it as a, as a career. And then you take over as general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. What was that like for you running a franchise? Well, it was difficult because we were in the era of small market, big market. 
We were a small market. Uh, we couldn't pay the salaries or go after free agents the way other teams did. Um, my first year, we had a great year and lost out the last uh, the game of the year uh, to, to win our division. Then we lost 11 guys to free agency. We couldn't sign, and we had to rebuild. And it's a slow process, and if you don't, don't have money, it's difficult. But we got a little bit better and a little bit better, and, uh, you know, I did that for eight years. Yeah, that's really when we started to see cable money come into the game. Then we started to see the new ballparks, and it really changed the, the finances of Major League Baseball. I mean, the cable money changed everything. It really did. And, you know, if you, obviously if you don't have money, you can't get the better players, and you're, you're leaning on your farm system to produce them, but it's not going to produce all of them. And so you need to be able to add guys from different organizations, and it was hard to do. Let's end on this. Bob Melvin, our skipper, as you know, credits you a lot for, for his career, at, his post-playing career. And he was a big fan of yours as he was growing up watching the A's win. And he now wears number six to honor you. What does that mean to you? Well, it means a lot. I'm so honored by Bob, who was such a great guy and uh, really knows his baseball. He doesn't get enough credit for how sharp he is and how he's how he's made the A's a contender year in and year out. So um, I'm very honored. I'm humbled. And uh, Bob is one of my very favorite people. Sal, it's been an honor to have you on the program once again, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these games on television and watch you guys dominate and win three straight World Series. Enjoy retirement. Enjoy the sun down in Arizona, and hopefully we'll talk to you later on during the season. Same here. Okay. Thank you very much. From the captain to the second baseman, Dick Green in 1974 was so good in the World Series He didn't get a hit, but he still won the Babe Ruth Award for his performance. He was that good with the glove. He didn't get a hit and still won an award. Absolutely amazing. Here's three-time World Series champion, Dick Green. Well, now joining us, it is such a treat to relive all of these great World Series. And you think about this second baseman, what a great glove. And he's a three-time World Series champion, the great Dick Green joins us here on A's Cast Live. Dick, how are you? How have you been? It's been a while since we've last chatted. Yes, it has. Um, I've been fine. Um, hey, I had a birthday yesterday. I'm almost 80 now, so uh, um, I'm just like the rest of the company. I'm uh, country. I'm just staying home and uh, and enjoying uh, my wife, I guess. Yeah, April 21st, you turned 79, and it's great that we have you here. And, you know, you're one of the guys that went from Kansas City to Oakland. Not everybody did that in this fantastic run of three straight World Series. What was that like transitioning from Kansas City and then coming out to Oakland in 1968? Well, uh, we uh, Kansas City was a, it was a good baseball town, and uh, – uh, um, I had a lot of fun there and that's where I started. Uh, actually, uh, the last year or two while we were in Kansas city, um, uh, Rick Mundy, Reggie Jackson, Sal Bando, Joe Rudy, um, uh, catfish hunter, uh, 
we were all together uh, before we went to Oakland. So we were all kind of, they, they all, I got there a little bit earlier than everybody else, but uh, um, we knew we were uh, going to be good uh, uh, in, a, in a couple of years. You know, the one thing that we really have noticed through these times is how all of you were in either your prime or you were a young ball player like Vita Blue. You know, we weren't, I mean, really like Campy was the only guy when you look at the prominent core that was in his 30s. I mean, talk about how you guys were pretty much all in your prime and boy, what a run it was. Well, um, Campy and I were uh, one of the older ones. Uh, Daryl Knowles, another left-hander, he was a little older. But everybody else was, uh, you're right, uh, in the pretty, pretty much in their prime. We uh, uh, we didn't get along too well um, when we were uh, not playing on the field, but when we got on the field, we played pretty well. Sal <laughs> <laughs> Bando told us the story, the captain. <laughs> about how in 1974 you guys were down in L.A. and the guy running the clubhouse in Los Angeles, <laughs> hey, we hear you guys are a wild bunch. And and Sal goes, no, 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 that's all overrated. And then all of a sudden, like, a fight broke out between Raleigh and Blue Moon. I mean, it, what was that like for you guys that you, you constantly there was – Everybody couldn't stand Charlie Finley. You guys were battling each other in the clubhouse, but yet you guys were world champions three straight years. What was what was what was going on in that clubhouse? It just seems crazy. Well, there was uh, a lot of eagle. Eagle. Uh, uh, everybody had a pretty good eagle. Um, it wasn't that bad. Uh, every now and then, uh, a couple guys would uh, would clash. But uh, once we got on the field, we uh, we knew what to do. You know, one of the hallmarks of your guys' teams is defense. Of course, you were a great defensive player. Uh, you can't be up the middle. Uh, just talk about what Dick Williams really installed in you guys, that the hallmark of your clubs in the end was pitching, we know, but also it was great defense. Yes, that's what we pride uh, ourselves on. Um, that's what really wins most games is uh, uh, pitching and defense. And I don't know if that's true nowadays or not with the uh, with the big strong guys and hitting the home runs. But uh, back in our day, uh, it was pitching and defense that won games, especially uh, especially in a uh, short series like the World Series. And when you think about your guys' pitching, and we're really getting to see it now that we're replaying these old games. I mean, your starters, when you start talking about Catfish Hunter and Kenny Holtzman and you got Vita Blue and then Blue Moon, talk about your starters and how you could just ride these guys because they really were so special. Actually, Raleigh Fingers started. Uh, he was a starter earlier in his career, and then uh, uh, he became one of the best relievers. But uh, I think one of the secrets, of uh, playing defense behind those uh, pitchers, especially Holtzman and, and Catfish. They knew how to pitch, and, the, and, and, and when I say how to pitch, they threw the ball where it was supposed to be thrown. Uh, the catcher would indicate uh, where uh, the ball was supposed to be thrown and what kind of pitcher it was. And, of course, 
the second baseman and the shortstop uh, knew exactly what was coming all the time because we could see the, the signals. But we played the hitters, and of course, we, just like they do, they study the hitters nowadays, but we studied the hitters before every uh, series, too. And uh, if the pitchers can throw the ball where they're supposed to throw the ball, uh, and we know if the hitter is going to hit that pitch, we know where he's gonna, likely going to hit it. So we positioned ourselves accordingly to every pitch. Uh, and I don't know if they do that nowadays or not. They get up there and hit home runs, and they're so much stronger than, uh, than we are when, when we uh, played because uh, <laughs> after we played during the season, we had to go home and get a job. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you had 80 home runs in your career. Uh, I hit mostly uh, earlier in my career, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, we're, we're now going to be going into the 1974 World Series, and it's against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And for some reason, I have no idea why, the Dodger players started giving you guys bulletin board material. You've won two straight World Series, and they start talking about how a lot of you guys couldn't play on their team. <laughs> And then you guys just mow right through the Los Angeles Dodgers. Take us through what it was like to play in the 1974 World Series. Well, I, I thought the 72 World Series was, was, you know, we were lucky to be there. We, we just wanted to make sure that we weren't going to do anything bad. Uh, 73, we, uh, we, we got a little better. And then, of course, I think our best team was 1974. Uh, the Dodgers had a very good team. Um, they had good relief pitching. They, they, they had an all-around team. But they did have some bulletin uh, board stuff. Uh, I don't know who who uh, spouted off, but uh, it helped us a little bit. It gave us a little incentive. Uh, they said, I think there are one or two guys on their whole starting lineup that, is all, that could make their team. And uh, uh, the 74 World Series is kind of special to me. I I didn't get a hit, but I did catch a few balls and made some plays. Yeah, you got the Babe Ruth Award in 1974. I did. I got to go to New York and accept the Babe Ruth Award. <laughs> and I didn't have a hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, when you, play, when you play great defense, and that's kind uh, yeah. of something I think is pretty cool, is that you were awarded – as you said, you didn't get a hit, but you got this big award, but it was based on defense, and defense is what wins championships. That's true. Yeah, Actually, it was called the Most Valuable Player Award. But uh, I also got that award in Kansas City. I, uh, they gave me uh, the same award in Kansas City. But Raleigh got the well, – back then, I think it was the Sporting News or something like that award. He got the car. I didn't get any car. <laughs> when you look back on it now and to think about winning three straight world series only you guys and the new york yankees have ever done that before what's it like for you to look back and think of, of the greatness you truly were a part of yeah, i kind of feel very proud to be with the team that i that i uh played with of course we had three uh hall famers on it and uh, I was just a very small cog in the in the team, but it, it does take a little bit of of uh, defense and offense and, and pitching and everything. So uh, the Yankees won five in a row, and we only won three in a row, and that probably won't happen 
for a long time because everybody changes teams now and they, they don't keep the team together. So I don't know. Uh, it, it was, uh, I'm very, I'm very proud of, uh, of being with that team and, and the guys on the team. You know, a lot of people probably don't know this, but you were a pretty good football player back in the day. You chose baseball and you signed with Kansas city the Kansas City Athletics, but you were a pretty good football player back in the day. That that had to be a tough choice for you, deciding whether to go to college and play quarterback or or, or play for the athletics. Yeah, I was. I had a uh, I had a couple trips to uh, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, I got a full ride there, and then I got a, also uh, another division one was Florida State. But back then, I. I got to play two sports, uh, uh, let alone I got to play football and baseball at both of those uh, colleges. Of course, back then, uh, a 5'10", 180-pound uh, 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 quarterback uh, uh, will not go today, but uh, it, it did back then. Dick, thank you so much for the time. We truly appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun reliving these great days of 72 73 and 74 happy birthday be well be safe and we'll talk to you soon <laughs> thank you very much chris well it's been great celebrating all all these guys who were just unbelievable champions and one of the great runs in the history of baseball where the a's won the world series 72 73 and 74 we think reggie jackson raleigh fingers sal bando and dick green now back to a's cast powered by tune in This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.